Chapter 8 of Peggy's Trial by Mary Knight Potter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Leanne Howlett. The Trial Has Come. But one day Peggy overheard two of her teachers talking about her father and his wife-to-be. She could not catch the name of the future stepmother, but the evident certainty in the women's minds and the things they said finally made the truth come home to her. Her father was to be married. Her own dear dead mother's place was to be taken by some other woman. It was only the morning recess, but Peggy slipped out of the schoolyard. For the next two hours she hardly knew where she went. At first she was merely filled with a sense of the burning injustice that was being done to her mother. She could but just remember the tall, stately lady who had died when Peggy was hardly five years old. But the memory meant all that was most sweet and sacred in her short life. To think that that place was to be filled by some strange woman seemed more than she could bear. Soon, too, she began to remember all the horrible stories she had heard of stepmothers. They not only hated their stepchildren, according to Nurse, but they made fathers dislike their own children. Sometimes they even drove the poor little things out of the house. Peggy was in the woods half a mile from home when all the terror of these thoughts came to her. She and the boys were to be scolded, beaten, and their dear father taught to hate them. Then she thought to herself remorsefully that she was wicked to believe he could ever turn against his little daughter and sons. But again she remembered what she had once heard Nurse say to Sally. There isn't anything a wicked woman can't make a man do. And everyone agreed that stepmothers were all bad beyond description. So there was no hope for it. Ted and Harry and she were to be outcasts, hated and scorned, with a loving father turned into a very fiend of ferocity. Peggy's imagination was always one of her strong points. The pictures she conjured up now of all the horrible things that would happen were so vivid and real that it seemed almost as if they were happening that minute. Down on the snow she dropped, and big sobs shook her little body, till the very well of tears had completely dried up. Exhausted at length with the fury of her grief, she sat up, a miserable heap of a girl. Her face was almost as white as the drifts of snow about her. Presently she began talking aloud to herself. "'Never any more father to love us, nobody to put us to bed, because, of course, she won't let nurse stay.' everybody hating us all the time. It will be just the same as if we were babes in the woods, only we won't have any robins to cover us up with leaves. Most likely we'll die of starvation and nobody will care. Oh dear, oh dear, if we only hadn't been born, or if only something could happen to us right off quick so we needn't stay any more. She paused a minute and clasped her hands together tightly. Why, she whispered, looking about furtively as if someone could hear her. Why, we could go away ourselves. Nobody wants us. We'd better go. Mrs. Baker said she'd be glad to have me any time. I'm sure she would take the boys, too, when she heard about the stepmother. Most likely in a little while I could earn some money and take care of us all. Peggy was not exactly sure how this could be done, but she had earned as much as two dollars in one season picking berries and selling them to her father. Consequently, she believed she could easily get something to do. 
enough to pay their board at least. There was no time to be lost, she thought rapidly. No one seemed to know exactly when the stepmother was to arrive. Everybody appeared to think, however, that it would be soon, perhaps by tomorrow. It was past noon now. Unless she hurried, the boys would have finished luncheon and returned to school before she got home. To her relief, she found them still at the table. Both boys looked gloomy and sullen, but she was too full of her own thoughts to be curious about them. As soon as the meal was over, however, Ted laid hold upon her. Before she had time to tell him the dreadful news, he and Harry had dragged her up to the nursery. "'Nurse says we've got to go to bed again before supper,' began Teddy, viciously kicking over a chair. "'And tisn't for a thing,' interrupted Harry, "'just for nothing except because she's so ugly herself.' "'That makes three suppers in a week,' continued Ted. "'All for nothing, too. One thing.' He wagged his head triumphantly and unbuttoned his blouse. "'I wasn't going to be hungry tonight.' As he spoke, he pulled out a couple of slices of bread and butter, a big apple, and some cookies, mostly broken into crumbs. "'I took something, too,' said Harry, drawing out a sticky wad of gingerbread around which he had wrapped a piece of roast beef. Peggy's eyes glowed victoriously. It was evident that the boys were in a frame of mind favorable for her scheme. "'What's it all about, anyway?' she asked. I told you just nothing, said Ted promptly. We got out early today because Miss Green is sick and we needn't go back till tomorrow. So on our way home we stopped at the store. Harry hadn't spent his allowance at all this week and I had five cents left of mine. And Mr. Pratt, he had the greatest pistol you ever saw. You snapped it and it went off like a big firecracker, all without any kind of a cap. It made a most elegant noise, now I tell you. When we got home, we went out and fired it at Cook. She's got some sense. She just laughed and said, What a fine creature it is, to be sure. Then we crept up here, and Nurse was sitting by the window. She never heard us, and I pulled the trigger and pop. Oh, you ought to have seen her. Teddy slapped his knees and danced up and down in his glee. She jumped about ten feet, and she got just white. And then didn't she scold, said we weren't little gentlemen, that no nice boy would scare a woman, just as if a toy pistol ought to scare anybody. Well, we didn't stay to hear all her talk. We went out to the hen yard, and we... He looked at Harry, and both boys chuckled with wicked delight. Oh, let me tell, said Harry. Ted, he gave me the pistol, and we crawled up soft to those cochinchinas nurse got last week. Then all of a sudden he leaned over quick and caught that fat strutting rooster, and then I banged with the pistol right side of Mr. Rooster's head. And you never saw anything like it, continued Harry. He gave the most awful squawk and jerked away like two-forty. And if you'll believe it, he did jump right out of Ted's hands. But he left, oh, he left all his tail feathers behind. Ha, ha, ha. The two graceless imps danced around the room, shaking with laughter. Peggy thought it was a pretty good joke, too, though she knew perfectly well how dear to Nurse's heart those cochinchinas were. With them she had hoped to take a prize at the county fair. 
Well, said Peggy, what happened then? The boy's hilarity vanished. She came out, said Ted in disgust, and she snatched the pistol away. She says she's going to burn it up, and she told us we'd have to go to bed without our supper. That's all we're punished for, just nothing, only a handful of old rooster feathers that will grow right out again. Peggy looked solemnly at the two boys. Nurse treats us bad enough, she said impressively, and we keep getting punished for nothing, but we're going to have a worse time yet. We're going to have a stepmother. Ted and Harry looked at her questioningly. What's a stepmother? asked Harry. She's a bad, wicked woman who makes father think we're horrid. She'll turn nurse away, and we won't have even enough to eat. Harry stood gazing with frightened eyes, but Ted sniffed rather contemptuously. Huh. Stepmother just means a lady who marries father and comes here to live and we call her mama. I know, because I had stepmother in my spelling lesson and Miss Green told me. That's all right, said Peggy severely, but that doesn't say what kind of a woman she is, does it? And I know she will be horrid. Nurse says they always whip and punish children and make their own fathers hate them. Cora May said so, too, for her grandmother told her. Here she remembered that Cora's new mother must be home by now. She wondered why Cora hadn't sent for Dr. Clayton to take her back to her grandmother. It's just as well, she thought mournfully, for he would probably side with the stepmother himself. The boys looked miserable enough. When's the stepmother coming? asked Ted. I don't know, but soon, maybe tomorrow. Soon, to Peggy's mind, could not mean a date much farther off. Will she beat us just as soon as she comes? Harry got nearer Peggy and held on to her dress. Not if I know it, said Peggy with determination. In the excitement of planning her campaign, she had lost something of her own first terrible feelings. She spoke now like an already successful general. I am going to run away before she comes. I'm going this very afternoon, and if you want to, you can come with me. Where are you going? said Ted in an awed whisper. I'm going to Elsie Baker's in Scranton. Mrs. Baker will be glad to have us, I know. She will keep us till I can earn enough money to support all of us. Peggy's tone of assurance was a wonderful thing to hear, but Ted was not quite satisfied. Supposing father comes after us and takes us back home, then he'd whip us sure for running away. Peggy shook her head impatiently. Don't you see? He won't want us to come back. Stepmother will make him hate us, and she'll be so glad we are gone that he will be glad, too. Oh, dear! Harry's lip trembled. I don't want father to hate us. I don't want any wicked old stepmother. Peggy put her arms around him and kissed him. If we go away before she comes, perhaps father will love us by and by. Maybe he will get tired of stepmother and send her off. Then we can come back. She said this to comfort Harry. In her own mind, she was quite sure that once in the power of a stepmother, even Dr. Clayton himself would be helpless. End of chapter 8